Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set blazing all its red and gold. Temperatures rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we are archived for your binge listening pleasure. We are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life with the Birches by calling 224-9111. Welcome, 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 everybody. I'm joined by the irrepressible Chris Ryan. Chris is here in our studios with me, the cold studios in a cold, wintry day. But Chris... The only thing cold here is your heart, Paul. But Chris is being warmed by the Patriot's hat that he's wearing. I just came back from Los Angeles. I took a little excursion out there to... Dip my toe into presidential politics. Find any Rams fans out there? I have little, uh, just a few Rams fans in the gift shops. But as I was boarding the plane, what the people boarding JetBlue said: If you're wearing any Patriots regalia, we're going to take you first. And so there were people wearing jerseys and hats, and they got on before anybody else. And Chris Ryan, you would have been there getting boarded early. It would have been the only time I ever had any sort of a uh, specialized role when flying. That's it. Yeah. You would have been, Other than I have sat in the exit row a couple times. A first-class kind of guy because he's wearing a Patriots hat. So what's the prediction? Let's just talk about, first of all, Super Bowl Sunday is coming up. And uh, the question is, what's on the menu at the Ryan household? Well, that's a that's a big question right there. I'm not quite sure what uh, uh, Mrs. Ryan has planned yet for uh, Super Bowl Sunday. We had a really good AFC Championship game party. We had some wings, uh, barbecue, as well as buffalo wings. Um, we went with two different directions there, and just a huge plate of chicken nachos, like massive, the oh. most nachos you've ever seen. Oh, um, I like that idea. Some uh, some local beer, craft beer involved in uh, the Super Bowl party or the AFC Championship game party as well. But uh, that's like that's like so Sunday. I'm I'm still on a, on a Friday at this point, so we, I can't plan that far ahead. I know, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking wings. I'm thinking ribs. Now I'm thinking ribs. nachos, ribs, ribs, man. I'm yeah. thinking ribs. I got a special rub, rub a dub dub. For uh, for my ribs, I I predict a um, I predict a Patriots victory. Well, there you go. That, don't you need to watch the game, now. folks. You heard it here on <laughs> off the, the record. You don't have to watch. <laughs> I'm not going to watch the game. But, Why'd you, know, you ruin it for me? Yeah, but look yeah. now. I want to really. I, I want to talk about something serious sure. because this week 
it turns out that that Comrade Rob, Robert oh, Mueller, Comrade yeah. Robert Mueller is now Comrade Heck from Roskies because Mueller investigate company, company 13 people indicted, all the Russians. Aren't I going to get to make my Super Bowl prediction? No, 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 oh, not quite yet. Right. So these 13 people, they, they were indicted because they are trolls, troll farm, and he charges them criminally, has to give discovery because you in the United States, you have this justice, which means you have to give to defendant discovery. He gave all the papers to defendant, silly Robert Mueller. I could have told him if he had only asked that here in Russia, when you give discovery to defendants who are criminally charged, it ends up at KGB. Of course, of course we have that. And we got it all we hack. And now we set up troll farm to make trouble for Robert Mueller. What a silly boy Robert Mueller is. Why why he give them these papers? Why he give them papers? Why he not call me first? He called me. I say, Robert, listen, Robert, don't give them the papers. You give them the papers. We get the papers. We get the papers. We turn them into scam hack. And then we make all kinds of trouble ski for you. Why? 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 I do not understand. What is perspective of American media, Chris Ryan, American media? I just, know I'm this. just really upset with how poorly Roger Stone's been treated. I mean, he's such a nice guy. And why would why would we treat Roger Stone in that fashion as a country? It is terrible. Ro- Roger Stone, we are have offered him asylum on many occasions because we think we think, <laughs> I've offered his eyebrows asylum. Yeah, well well he he dressed rather outrageous costumes. But these <laughs> costumes, you know, in Russia they make for very, very, very good press. He could be in clown show. We have circus in Russia and we have special place for Roger Stone in in the Russian circus, but he doesn't call. He doesn't write. You know, I want to know. I like. I'm like his mother. Are you wearing a sweater? Are you cold? Have you eaten? <laughs> but Roger never calls. I call all the time. Roger, by way of WikiLeaks, I want you to know that I do not think you are leaking. But you, are, you say you don't are not going to uh, testify. Uh, you are not going to turn tables. You are not going to overturn. You are not going to run around and thumb your nose at, at Donald Trumpelski. Because Comrade Donald is, you know, a big friend to us. And I, for this, I think you are wonderful. But you might be suffering. You could come to Russia, join the circus, and you could travel around, and you could just do whatever you want to do in the Russian circus. But no, he no, he doesn't call. It's unfortunate. Um, who was the? Uh, I forgot who the guy was. The uh, the uh, Kislyak. Where's he at? Where's oh, Kislyak at? Kislyak. Oh, we don't talk about Kislyak <laughs> anymore. I haven't heard from him in a while. He is, a, he, he is a big bear of a man, and these <laughs> days he is training bears for the <laughs> Russian circus. You should see him. He wears these jumpers. You know, he has. We gave him white coat with many, many gold buttons. Oh, he looks so good. He has big, tall, black boots, and we gave him whip for the bears. And you know, the Russians and the bears—they are the same. Not Chicago bears, of course. No. Although I am fan of footballs in America, yeah. but these are Russian bears. Is this, is this Vladimir? Is, I forgot who this no, is. No, this is not It's just a random dude? This random, is <laughs> random, random Russian dude? Because I had a question for Vladimir. Oh, can we get right. Vladimir going? Yes, we can. All right, let's get Vladimir on the line. Vladimir on the line. We are having much too good a time here. Yeah, Chris Ryan, this is Vladimir Putinsky. What can I do for you? Hey, where's, where's Robert Kraft's Super Bowl ring at? Oh, Robert Kraft is with PP tape that I'm holding. <laughs> no, 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 no. We can't, we can't, do, we can't do that. Oh yes, I'm holding <laughs> hostage the PP tape and the Super Bowl <laughs> ring. 
from Donald Trump. Oh, 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 you're saying, oh, you're saying that the you have the PP tape for President Trump and the Super Bowl ring are in the same place. Correct. Not that you have a PP tape of no, Robert no Kraft. PP tape of okay. Kraft ring. I have a ring in safe with PP tape. He's <laughs> in my office. By right hand of my desk is safe. Nobody can get what in. What else the- you have in there? Oh well, I, I would not be uh, revealing state secrets. You already know about peepee tape and rings. So, but other state secrets are are just mine to write on. Is horseback. it actually like a VHS tape, or is it a, have it like, like a DVD? Or is we it are a- very very high tech here in Russia. My peoples know that uh, we do not use VHS or or Beta anymore. We are not Video Max. Yeah. We have it on the hard disk, hard 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 disk for peepee tape. That is the only way to store something for long term. And we never know how long Donald Trump Ostinsky might uh, might be president more years. And we need to hold PP tape to make sure that well, he continues to do our bidding. Where's Steven Seagal at these days? What are you guys doing with him? Steven Seagal, well, he is starring in big action movie. He is, uh, he is actually going to play Donald Trump in the next uh, <laughs> Russian uh, production yeah. of Donald Trump. Go they both to have similar physique at this point. Well, that's true. We have, yes, but Steven Seagal, they, you know, the Miss Universe likes Steven Seagal a little better than they like Donald Trump. So that's, that's, that's this news from Moscow. Good. Hey, Vladdy, good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Goodbye. Yeah. So th- that was, uh, we always have Russian guests here these days because uh, that's what's going on. Um, so, uh, of course, uh, acting uh, attorney general Whitaker, uh, he of the shiny pate, the shiny, bald, sweating pate, um, came on the news the other day and said that he thought that Robert Mueller's investigation was coming to a close. That sounded kind of like wishful thinking after Mueller sent the FBI to Roger Stone's apartment and his mistress girlfriend told everybody on the news that they were looking for evidence of collusion. Yeah, I... I think that um, Whitaker is an interesting uh, case for a number of reasons. A, he has publicly spoken out against the Mueller investigation in the past. And when you're making that type of pronouncement, are you calling your own shot? Are you are you trying to send Robert Mueller a message that, hey, the investigation is coming to a close soon, regardless of what you may or may not um, wish it to, to take place? So I don't – generally it has been – it seems that the um, – the, the Mueller office of the special prosecutor, special investigator, has um, kind of spoken for themselves, um, whether it's, you know, in court uh, requesting uh, additional time um, for, uh, for filings, uh, whether it's uh, most recently in denying the BuzzFeed report. It does not seem that they have been speaking in the past through you know, Rod Rosenstein or for, or obviously, Attorney General Sessions had uh, recused himself. But do they seem to be speaking for themselves as opposed to having people speak for them. Robert Mueller speaks with indictments. And indictments <laughs> right, are right, about yeah. all you need right. to know from Robert Mueller. But meanwhile, I've got a, a poem for you. And it goes like this. Humpity Trumpety sat on a wall. Humpity Trumpety had a great fall. All of Stone's horses and all of Stone's men could not put Humpity Trumpety together again. So here we are, headed towards 
another shutdown in two and a half weeks while congressional negotiators scramble to try to figure out some language that will assuage the madness that lives inside the King Lear brain of humpity trumpety in the White House, the carrot top cantaloupe who must have his wall in order to save more more chaos in the American economy, more misery for federal workers and those who depend on it. Is this guy totally, totally out of his mind? Is, is, is his ego so big that only the words concrete wall are going to satisfy him? So I think that this is, you know, part of uh, Donald Trump's reelection strategy in that he doesn't want there to be a wall. He wants there to be a way where he can blame Democrats and uh, weak Republicans for the fact that there is no wall and that they've obstructed him from his true agenda. Um, His basic uh, plan to be reelected, in my view, is to say that the problem was worse than he had expected and that uh, Democrats blocked his his agenda. He is hoping that some things take place that he can blame on Democrats and his reelection bid is going to be firming, firming up the uh, his base and hoping that he can expand beyond that um, by making the opposition candidates seem even more extreme and worse than he is while blaming his failures in the first term on uh, weak Republicans and to need to to elect strong Trump Republicans to get a real majority that will do what he wants and um, obstruction is Democrats. And this is all part of that. Um, and I think that that's where he's headed, whether that strategy is going to be successful or not. The Mueller investigation is a big piece. Um, I think that that's going to um, you know, bring his presidency to a halt. But uh, we shall see. He did not figure on Nancy Pelosi, who wears the pants in Washington now. And that's it. For this segment of Off the Record with Paul Hodes, my guest was Chris Ryan, the irrepressible laughing Chris Ryan, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We have a great conversation with Rob Werner of Belief Conservation Voters after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. Join my dozens of listeners and listen to past shows of Off the Record, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. I'm very pleased to be joined by my good friend Rob Werner with the League of Conservation Voters, N.H., Rob directs the efforts to help save our environment and planet here in New Hampshire. Rob, welcome to Off the Record. 
Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. So for folks who are unfamiliar with the work of the League of Conservation Voters, tell us a little bit about the organization. Well, the League of Conservation Voters has been around for quite some time. We were founded in 1970. Our headquarters is in Washington, D.C. LCV was one of the original organizations that uh, established Earth Day in 1970. And since that time, we've really grown in size and, I think, influence. We have uh, operations around the country, uh, including here in New Hampshire. And we really want to elevate the importance of environmental issues and climate change action on the state, local, and national level. The, the, the word in the title is conservation. Yes. Did the league start generally thinking about the environment and now focuses on climate change? Or does the League of Conservation Voters still have a lot to do with other environmental issues, such as environmental pollution and acid rain and those kinds of issues? Absolutely. Uh, it's a good uh, uh, observation in terms of the word conservation because we are very concerned and do a lot of work on things like preserving and hopefully expanding things like the Land and Water Conservation Fund, uh, which has benefited every state in terms of national parks and local parks and, you know, really provided uh, folks opportunities to uh, be in the environment and preserve uh, that very important resource. Uh, we really care about water quality issues. You know, here in New Hampshire, there's a lot of discussion about contamination with various chemicals and we care about that. So it's a broad mission, but in recent years, we really have spent a lot of time on the issue of climate change. Uh, how is it that we can really call the public to action, educate them, and then take action on the local, state, and national level to really uh, push forward some solutions on that? And is uh, the LCV a membership organization? Yes, we have uh, about one and a half million members around the country. We have about 25,000 members here in New Hampshire. Um, and, you know, we are able to activate these members both nationally and here in New Hampshire to, act, to interact with our elected officials uh, to make sure that uh, they are doing good things for the environment and taking climate change action. So you're an interest group. You're one of those one of those interest groups. We have the public interest at heart. There you go. But you know, I mean, it's it's funny how, uh, in general, interest groups are all often lumped together in the public's mind about uh, all those interest groups that are influencing, and the public rarely thinks that influencing for good. Uh, what happens in both our state legislatures and at the federal level. So the LCV sounds like it has a very active government relations aspect to it in which there is uh, education and information uh, and advocacy at both federal and state level. Well, that's right. But I think that's combined with, I think, uh, something else, which is electoral uh, politics. So I think what dif differentiates LCV and I think puts us in a sort of a different category than a lot of the organizations that we work with that are terrific organizations like the uh, Nature Conservancy and, you know, here in New Hampshire, the so uh, Society for the uh, Preservation of New Hampshire Forest, all great allies that do good work. But I think combining the policy work we do in Washington, D.C. and the lobbying we do in D.C. and around the country with states with our electoral programs is important because at the end of the day, um, it's really critical 
as to who those policymakers are, those elected officials that are sitting in those seats making the decisions. I think ultimately the education aspect is really important. The advocacy impact is really important. But at the, uh, in the final analysis, those folks who actually make policy, we have to make sure that those, in our view, are people that hold our values and environmental values and will take climate change action. So my recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that every year the LCV issues a scorecard for people who are serving. Uh, and the scorecard takes into account uh, all kinds of different things. What Am I remembering correctly? That's right. That's one of the things that LCV is known for is our congressional scorecard. And, and state LCVs also, in many instances, do the same kind of activity for state legislatures. I think I did pretty well. I think you did. I think you had a high – I'd have to go back and look what it I is. Think I, I think like, you had a pretty high number. I think I was about 100 percent all the time. Yeah, it's, it's scored from zero to 100 yeah, percent. And it's archived. So if you want to go back and you know, do a lot of research and look at you know, trends around Congress, you can go all the way back to our founding and look at our scorecards in the 70s and 80s and 90s all along just to see where Congress was as a whole and how things have gone up and down in terms of support. What's interesting to me, and I, you know, I, I know that uh, LCV is a nonpartisan organization. I mean, you're not, you don't belong to any political party. You're advocating for uh, environmental policy and environmental policy in an ideal world uh, should, frankly, be a bipartisan, uh, is, should be of bipartisan concern, whether it is uh, the the kind that you can see the dirt flowing into into your water system or water pollution or air pollution or the climate change, which uh, un- fortunately or unfortunately is a little more subtle in seeing its effect every day until you get a storm or the tides or uh, crazy weather patterns and weather is not environment. But the the League of Conservation Voters has the word conserve in its title. And I have always been uh, amazed, aghast, and somewhat mystified that folks who consider themselves conservatives often uh, seem to be opposed to environmental regulation by government. So it seems to me, and I'm just curious about your perspective, that 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 conservatives uh, ought to be concerned with conserving our environment, but it butts up for conservatives against their uh, their thoughts about big government, small government. And so the argument that I often have heard from conservatives is, well, the market ought to take care of this or the market ought to take care of that. We don't want government to get in the way. So what's your perspective, just not in terms of particular candidates, but the perspective that you bring to your advocacy work where those who are considered politically conservative do not seem to be conservative when it comes to conserving the environment. 
Well, I, I guess I would start with maybe some historical context. Uh, one of my favorite presidents is Teddy Roosevelt. And, you know, during the progressive era, he really pushed forward, really for the first time in any, you know, large way, conservation issues. This is at the beginning of the 20th century. Beginning of the 20th century. Right. And so he, you know, had a lot, he, he really had a lot of influence in terms of setting forth the modern conservation movement, which went all the way through many decades uh, beyond that. I mean, if you look at the 1970s in terms of the founding of the EPA, and you look at the passage of the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act when they first passed, those actions commanded large bipartisan majorities in both the House and the Senate. If I'm not mistaken, it was President Richard Milhouse Nixon who was under whose watch the EPA was founded. That's correct. Now, so it's interesting how over time um, this issue around climate change, which actually, it's quite interesting. If you go back, the first uh, canary in the coal mine report that I'm really aware of on a national scale was actually delivered to President Lyndon Johnson in 1965. Really? Yes. About the dangers of increasing carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere and the man-made contributions around climate change and what the projections might be in the future. Now, what's happened is that things are moving much more rapidly in terms of that impact than uh, have been uh, measured even some years ago. Um, There's in been recent an, years, it, it's an exponentially accelerating, accelerating rather quickly, yeah. and you have impacts that are quite visible even here in New Hampshire. Our moose population is being severely affected by winter ticks because we don't have the long, deep, cold winters that we used to have. Even though it's very cold, don't don't confuse these cold spikes that we have with the long-term trend. Over over the trend, our winters are getting warmer and shorter. We have uh, effects on the maple sugaring industry because of our changing climate. It takes um, it takes twice as much sugar, or twice as much sap, I should say, because the sugar content has dropped to make a gallon of maple syrup than it used to. And that not only has sort of cultural effects, it has economic effects for producers. So there's a lot going on. So on the one hand- And then I, there's the ski business. And the ski business, right. There's a lot of observational effect that people are uh, honing in on now. And while those are negative developments, they do have the effect of sort of concentrating people's thoughts, thoughts about it. Um, so. You know, there are, you know, it, it has become a divisive issue in some ways, uh, but the scientific consensus remains. Um, we still have bipartisan support. Um, there's a group of uh, folks in the U.S. Congress, Republicans, that are concerned about these issues. Um, there are folks here in New Hampshire in the legislature that are on bills. Uh, to address things like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative and making sure that our solar industry is robust and can grow. Those are bipartisan efforts. So um, I still have a lot of hope about that and building bridges in the future to, to the bipartisan aspect. I will say one other thing. It's interesting to me that uh, folks talk about the market. Now, it was the mar a market mechanism that actually solved the acid rain problem. Uh, and that was put forward by under the Reagan and Bush years. 
and it was a cap-and-trade program that traded uh, sulfur emissions. And we don't talk about that anymore because that program worked. Uh, Cap-and-trade, whether it's for carbon, like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative is a cap-and-trade program. Cap-and-trade was debated and passed in the House in 2009 in the U.S. House. That approach of cap-and-trade as a response to environmental protection and climate change mitigation actually originated out of the Heritage Foundation. A conservative think tank. Absolutely. So that's the irony of it in a way And that, you know, there were people concerned about it on across the ideological spectrum. What are some market mechanisms that could be employed to help solve that, those problems? And that's, that's an approach. Right. So. You know, and it, it, it's analogous to what happened on health care. The Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. uh, it came up with a solution to preserve private health insurance as the dominant force in our health care market. Uh, and in fact, it was very close to the Heritage Foundation plan that was passed as the Affordable Care Act, which drew so much ire from so-called Conservatives. Well, you're when right. It, that it, is it another. Was, it was a it was irony. a conservative it was a conservative think tank's yes. plan. So policy. Yes, the uh, the Affordable Care Act is essentially uh, Romney Care in Massachusetts, and what was proposed as the Republican alternative in the 1990s to the Clinton health care efforts. Well, we're talking about so. uh, some of the ironies of politics with Rob Werner of the League of Conservation Voters here in New Hampshire. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live for you at nhtalkradio.com, where we're also archived. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll be back with more Off the Record in our conversation with Rob Werner. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. You can join my dozens of listeners and listen to past shows and regale yourself with my political rants and Interesting interviews with lots of guests, and like Rob Werner, who we're talking to today. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, and we really appreciate our sponsor. In our last segment, Rob and I were talking about some of the ironies of politics, where conservatives don't seem overly fond of conservation in the modern era when it comes to the environment. And of course, I always wonder, as a former member of Congress with some experience in the trenches of government, what kind of influence the moneyed interests have over our environmental policy? Because my recollection is that the oil and gas industry showered their beneficence, their magnificence on uh, the members of Congress to have them do uh, do what the oil and gas industry wanted them to do, which is to keep on keeping on with fossil fuels when all the evidence is that uh, the industrial age has created 
um, great progress and wonderful things, but it's also, at the moment, um, strangling the planet. Um, and climate change is real. The science is clear, despite what the President of the United States in his tweet universe might think, confusing weather and climate change. They're not the same thing. Um, and uh, here we are, facing facing the issue that uh, we haven't been able to get our arms around in any meaningful way. Uh, the United States is now pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. I mean, the uh, the, the Paris Climate Accord. Um, uh, we never. I don't think we did. We ever sign on to Kyoto, the Kyoto Protocol. Um, not sure that we ever did. And what we see in all the scientific evidence, and the scientists are almost universally uh, uh, agreed that the effects of climate change are real. They are happening now. They are putting island nations underwater. They are eroding coastlines. Climate change has uh, caused substantial changes in weather patterns when we're experiencing that right now and kind of accelerated polar vortex weather. Minus 60 degrees in Chicago, folks. A number of people died. And at the same time, there are pictures of herds of wild horses in Australia dead from a heat wave where the temperature is regularly soaring over 116 degrees. Here in New Hampshire, the trees are suffering, the ski industry has suffered, the maple syrup industry has suffered, agriculture has suffered, the shoreline, our short shoreline, is suffering as it's battered by rising tides. I travel around and say, hey, there's a causeway here, soon we're going to need to build a bridge. And the League of Conservation Voters is working to change perception, educate, advocate, and do something about climate change. So, Rob, talk a little bit about the relationship. Uh, this is a little bit of an in-the-weeds question, but I have an in-the-weeds audience. They're actually interested in what goes on um, behind the scenes. That's where we called the show off the record. Kind of let's get behind the scenes. Um, there's a state organization for the League of Conservation Voters, and there's a national organization. What's the relationship between your New Hampshire state organization and the national organization? And um, I understand that there is now um, a, a move that you want to make to um, work on that relationship. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So for our New Hampshire activities, we've been essentially a national program here since 2014. And we've had uh, uh, significant staff uh, resources here, and we've established a lot of relationships with partner organizations. We've done quite a lot of, bit, uh, quite a lot of work in the New Hampshire legislature and with our congressional delegation. Our congressional delegation over the time that we have been uh, here has been very supportive. Um, and we work to amplify their efforts um, primarily because they have been so supportive. Um, on the state level, we're very involved in the weeds in terms of state legislation. So, for example, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative is something that we are really pushing towards, making sure that the resources that New Hampshire gains from that agreement uh, really is benefiting our New Hampshire citizens. What I mean by that is currently our legislature has decided that the approximately $14 million that we get from Reggie, as we call it, is mostly rebated back to the consumer and to 
large uh, commercial and industrial users, like a BAE or a Stonyfield. They do get benefits from that. What we like to see, and many advocates would like to see, and again, this says bipartisan support, is to have those monies mostly dedicated to energy efficiency projects for municipalities, schools, more money for low-income weatherization projects, which is really going to help uh, lower energy costs and become more efficient. Energy efficiency is really important because the cheapest unit of energy is the one that is not used. Um, so that's sort of the first line of defense, so to speak, in terms of d uh, working on that. So I'm really hopeful that this session in the legislature, there are several bills that would do, as I've described, um, that will pass and will be put on the governor's desk. There's another bill that would expand our ability to net meter, what's called uh, sort of working with um, the electric grid in a different way uh, in terms of valuing those resources and that energy for solar. Right now, we're, we are limited to uh, system size of one megawatt uh, that can net meter. And there was a bill last session that was vetoed by Governor Sununu that would raise that limit to five megawatts, which is really important, particularly for municipalities as we pursue these larger projects that are going to help lower municipal energy costs. So we're working very much on that to make sure that that passes and that we can uh, get that policy in place. So those are the kinds of things specifically that we're involved with with the legislature and mobilizing folks in districts to contact their legislators. Are about there that. still limits on net metering that are restricting uh, the growth of, sol of the solar industry in New Hampshire? Absolutely. Concord, Dover, other communi communities, we want to build larger systems, but we're constrained right now. So the, back to your question of what is our future plan, um, we want to uh, be able to uh, enhance our work here by establishing what's called a state league. And we would have a board of directors. We would be able to um, be more involved in state electoral politics, state legislature, senators, executive council, governor, have more influence in that way. It's not that we don't have any influence in, those, in that sphere now. It's just that having a more established presence organizationally here in New Hampshire uh, would allow us to do more in that way. And I imagine that once you are able to establish uh, that state organization as a, essentially a standalone, you'd still be allied with Absolutely, because the, the there national are, Exactly. There are 35 um, states around the country that have state LCVs, and they're all under the umbrella of the League of Conservation Voters nationally and very very much a collaborative effort that well, way. Well, you know, I mean, it seems like a pretty natural progression. Um, the, the League of New Hampshire, uh, League of Conservation Voters, NH, uh, is, is, is fairly young. I mean, it's a fairly young organization here in New Hampshire. And so having been born under the umbrella of the National uh, League of Conservation Voters, as your work, your staff, your influence 
um, has grown. Your and you've you've reached out for partnerships and and done all the work you've done. It seems like a pretty natural progression to say, okay, uh, we've had we've been crawling. Now um, we're ready to stand up and and walk, and we're going to do it. I do myself. I do. I do, as my daughter used to say. Well, I would say we've been running. Now it's time to run faster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's true. You know, it it. I'm just curious. You, we we talked. You talked a little bit about the net metering issue, and yeah. um, I was really lucky. I put solar panels on my house. I got in under some deadline for something, and. Um, got various rebates and um, still getting some rebates from energy I sell back to the grid. And that's what happens with individual mm-hmm. solar panels on a house. You end up um, uh, signing up with various ways to sell any excess energy back to the grid so that your electric bill is then reduced. You get credits for, for what you sell. But as you've said, there's a current a cap on the total amount of uh, alternative solar energy that can be sold back to the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that? I, I just don't. I don't get what the what those who are reluctant to to get rid of the cap on net metering argue. What what is the argument for capping uh, renewable energy? Um, is it purely for the monetary benefit of the utility? Is it? Is that it? Is that? Is that really all that's at stake here? That's a large part of it. So, um, and they've got, and and how they spend a lot of money on lobbyists. You know, in New Hampshire, I mean, some, some, there's certainly some measure of lobbying about that, but I think that. Um, people want to see an orderly transition. I think to, you know, you've got the. You've got the situation that the market is really demanding more and more renewable energy. And I think those that are uh, in the utility industry do, are increasingly recognizing that, that that is the future. What is our business model going to be in the future? But I think that there's a concern among them as what is the transition to that and how can we make it an orderly transition in our view. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, – Eventually, I think market forces are going to be very kind to our efforts to uh, solve this climate change problem. We have to have appropriate government guidance and regulations, but I also think we need to figure out how is it that we further incentivize the market to uh, move along a path that it is already moving towards in terms of more demand for clean energy deployment. Well, certainly – the governmental policies are absolutely crucial to creating the market conditions yes. that will work on this problem. And if, the, for some reason, uh, the market won't move fast enough, I'm certainly in the camp of saying then it's up to government to protect the people protect, and protect our environment and do what needs to be done to require um, compliance with environmental regulations. Unfortunately, on the national level, mm-hmm. we have an occupant in the White House who seems completely clueless, and I'm being generous, completely clueless about the science. He actively ignores it. He deprecates it. He insults it. Um, and he's totally out of step 
with the bulk of the population of the country where um, recent polls and studies have now shown that the bulk, the majority of people in this country get that climate change is happening, under, have some pretty, are getting a pretty clear understanding of the devastating uh, impacts, both financial impacts and lifestyle impacts that climate change is having and will have. Where can people find out about LCV? Tell us the website address that people should go to if they want to join, if they want to help, if they want to uh, become members um, help out. They can go to our website at lcv.org, and you'll find a wealth of information there and how to get involved. Rob Werner, thanks for joining us on Off the Record. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. Off the Record with Paul Hodes, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Well, wrapping up this week's show, we had visits from Russian, Russian guests here um, on Reddington Road at WKXL. It's amazing how the Russians have hacked into our radio show and just keep finding their way here to talk about the goings-on with their friends, um, Comrade Donald, Comrade Roger Stone, um, and Vladimir Putin himself, of course, a frequent guest on Off the Record, joined us to talk about what's going on in his brain. It turns out that he's holding Robert Kraft's Super Bowl ring hostage along with the PP tapes. And we had a great conversation with Rob Werner about the work of the League of conservation voters uh, here in New Hampshire and nationally working on climate change and other environmental issues. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes.